I cannot even begin to communicate how it feels when you're at 18,000 feet, the wind is howling at 40 miles an hour, it stinks, you're nauseous, you're down 15 pounds because you don't feel like eating, and here's the toughest part. You got another 2,000 vertical feet to go. Why do we do this? Because we're passionate about what we're doing. That's right. You're, the summit's worth the suffer. It is worth the suffer. But our careers, while I never felt physically harmed in my career, I think the mental anguish of the anxiety that we try to work through is underestimated how it can damage our psyche if we don't have the right mindset to know don't be afraid to make mistakes. Just be afraid of not learning from them. In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. I'm The Real Jason Duncan and welcome to the show, The Root of All Success. I'm really glad that you're here. I've got a spectacular guest today and I'm really happy to have him here. I actually had the pleasure of having him at our home last night, have dinner, got to know him a little better. He flew in from New York to be on the show. So I'm going to tell you a lot about his, him and his story in a minute, but I want to first say thank you for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Podcasts are nothing without the listeners like you. So thank you for listening. You know, we're proud to be hosted and uh, syndicated on the C-Suite Radio Network. And as a matter of fact, our guest, his podcast is also syndicated on the C-Suite Radio Network. And uh, we'll talk more about his podcast as well. You want to want to tune into that as a podcast listener. But we're proud to be on all podcast players everywhere. Plus, we do a YouTube version of this. It's on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C for channel slash The Real Jason Duncan. So if you want to watch this, you can go watch it because we shoot these right here in Nashville, Tennessee at the Standard at the Smith House. And today, if you've been watching these, you know we've been doing them in the Matador room here at the Standard at the Smith House. We've moved to a new room today that's a little more comfortable for me and the guests. We're in some big leather comfy chairs. So if you're not watching it, I really encourage you to go check it out on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash The Real Jason Duncan. And you can subscribe to the playlist for The Root of All Success and watch all past episodes and subscribe to that. Hit the bell icon so that you're notified of all updated content. And of course, plus I produce a lot of other content that's related to entrepreneurship, leadership, etc. that I do videos on every single week. So you can check all that out. Now, we've got right here in the standard, if you ever come to Nashville, this place is amazing. It's an 18,000 square foot 
building. It's the oldest antebellum home still standing in downtown Nashville. It's 18,000 square feet, like I said, of Southern sophistication and style. It's owned and operated by the one and only Joshua Sterling Smith, who is now a personal friend of mine now that I've become a member of the Standard over the last five or six years. It's my happy place. I absolutely love being here. You can smoke cigars. You can have an amazing steak dinner. They've got some of the best bourbons and rums and wines that you could ever want to drink. And uh, some of my guests, we actually do that and imbibe and smoke a little bit while we're doing it. We're not doing it today on today's show, but some of my guests do that. So again, if you watch on the YouTube channel, you get to, you get to see that. Now, if you are an entrepreneur, and I would assume that you are because you're listening to a show about entrepreneurship, I want to make an offer to you. I give away one free hour of coaching to one entrepreneur somewhere in the world every single week. And I do that because I truly believe the entrepreneurs are the ones that change the world. And so I want to do that, by, and I want to give back by giving one free hour away. So it's the real Jason Duncan with one real entrepreneur talking about one real issue for one hour. You get that for free. And how you apply to get that, because not obviously I can't coach everybody, uh, but if you want to apply for that, go to therealjasonduncan.com slash free coaching, and you can apply for that free hour. My team looks at all the applications every week. We pick one person, and that one lucky person gets one free hour with me. And normally, of course, I charge for these things. I do a lot of one-on-one coaching and group coaching and masterminds, et cetera. But that one free hour, somebody gets, and it may be you. So make sure you go apply for that. Our sponsor for today's episode is 8Bend Marketing. That's the number 8 Bend Marketing. And if you're like a lot of small business owners, you've spent a lot of money and thrown it down the toilet on marketing. You know, it's an easy thing to do, and it's, uh, it's unfortunate. I know I've experienced that. You spend money on marketing, spend money on advertising, marketing companies, and there's no return on that investment. I actually found 8Bend Marketing uh, through one of my coaching clients. They did some work for them. They actually worked on their story brand, and it was so clear, so good, so concise, and so on point that I asked my client, please introduce me to whoever did this. And he introduced me to Josh Davis and the team down at 8Bend Marketing. They're located in Chattanooga, Tennessee. They're one of the top story brand uh, marketing companies in the country. And uh, they do a fantastic job for all their companies that they work with all over the country. They have a step-by-step process that they implement specific for small businesses to get your story messaging right. Words are the way that you want to communicate who you are or what you do, and words are important. And 8Bend works very specifically to make sure that the words are right. So if you want a special offer from 8Bend to help you with your story brand, with your messaging for your company, for your small business, go to 8Bend, that's the number 8, B-E-N-D, dot marketing, that's 8Bend dot marketing slash root, as in root of all success. And they have a very special offer for listeners to the podcast. So go to 8Bend dot marketing slash root. All right. (laughs) That's all of our intro stuff. So let me talk about our guest for today. I'm really happy to have our guest here. He is the former head of global marketing at Bloomberg. Uh, He's an executive leadership coach and training coach. And with his business, uh, he does, he coaches a lot of fortune 500 companies. He's the founder of a company called Climb Leadership International that coaches executives on leadership development, public speaking, and emotional intelligence. And the emotional intelligence thing, by the way, is so very interesting. I remember hearing a lot about that over the last decade, and it's becoming more and more important. And this guy sitting across from me is going to be somebody that will help us understand that even better. And if you follow him on socials and his website, which we'll give out at the end of the show, you'll get more information about that. But his clients include Bloomberg, uh, Bank of China, J.P. Morgan, in addition to other large complex financial institutions worldwide. 
He has been a keynote speaker in over 20 countries. He has an Amazon best-selling book that he's going to talk about today called A Climb to the Top. He's a former talk show uh, radio host on New York 77 WABC with his A Climb to the Top Stories of Transformation show. And uh, he also teaches leadership communication at Columbia's University Graduate School of Engineering. So he's a 25-year veteran of Wall Street. He spent 14 years in sales and marketing at Bloomberg. He was the director of business development of BlackRock Solutions, and uh, he was the managing director at Citadel. He has got this Amazon best-selling book. This guy's amazing, right? I can't believe he's sitting across sitting across from me today. Um, he, but here's what's interesting too: is that he's a mountaineer and has climbed lots of mountains. And we're going to talk about how this mountain climbing experience really led him into entrepreneurship and how that started his journey. He's climbed some of the tallest mountains in the world, like Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Elbrus, the Matterhorn, as well as mountains in Alaska and, and, and the Andes Mountains. And he's most proud, he's most proud of his family and his long marriage to his wife and four kids. And uh, he's very proud of that. And I got to hear some cool stories about his family last night. And maybe we'll hear a few of those today. So I want to welcome our guest today, the one and only Chuck Garcia. Chuck, man, I'm honored that you're sitting here. You flew all the way from New York, uh, come to Nashville, and you're here sitting across from me. Thank you for being here today. Jason, you are welcome. I am equally honored, and I thank you for hosting me. It is great to be here. Well, it's uh, so, so last night over dinner when we were talking... You kind of told me a little bit about your or, the origin story of a climb to the top, or your 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 leadership your your leadership company, and your entry into entrepreneurship because you had spent twenty five years on Wall Street. You worked uh, down you know down on the Wall Street. You worked for Bloomberg, and uh, your story kind of starts with uh, with nine eleven a little bit. You told 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 me a little bit about that. So tell tell the listeners about how that story nine eleven how it kind of changed your life. Yeah, at the time. I was I was already in my 10th or 11th year at Bloomberg, and I was a public spokesman. I was head of global marketing, but what that really meant is I was on stage a lot. And I was all over the world, wherever it was, this was in a time of abundance in the world. And I had a lot of invitations to speak on behalf of my company in a variety of venues all over the world. On that fateful day, I was booked to speak in what was known as Windows of the World. It was a conference facility on the 106th floor of the World Trade Center on 9-11. And I was booked for that afternoon and the following morning. On that fateful day in the morning, I was on my way to the World Trade Center. And at approximately when the towers fell, three of my colleagues were already there. They had been there. They we knew they were there because they had sent me a text saying, Chuck, we're here waiting for you. I never made it into the building. Long story short, I spent the next month, I went to 16 funeral service, funerals, memorial services, and it just did something to my psyche. And I thought about it, and New York had changed, and as I reflected on what happened and how lucky I was, just a simple twist of fate, I simply hadn't made it to the building. I was actually in another venue. And yet, for many hours, I was unaccounted for. And I appeared on a dead list. And I had mentioned to my wife the night before, I'll be coming home a little bit late. I'd have a, a speech at the World Trade Center. Didn't think anything about it. It was just, just a mention for what I do. Throughout the course of the next month, as I thought about, wow, what happened here? What am I going to do about it? What can I do so that the sadness 
of my friends, my colleagues who died, I can't let that happen in vain. So I thought about what does this mean to me and what can I do? It's something different in the service of all those people that, that, that were lost and how grateful I was that it just wasn't my day. So over the last couple of months, I thought about it. I was like, all right. I had read a book called Into Thin Air by a guy named John Krakauer. And, he, and, and in the book, it talked about the, the 1996 disaster on Mount Everest where about a dozen people died on the climb. And it really piqued my interest. Instead of turning me off to mountaineering, I saw myself in that book doing what they described. So one day I made up my mind, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to climb a mountain. I was a distance runner for many years, and I had that, I still am, but I had that mentality. To cut to the conclusion here, exactly one year later, on 9-11-02, and the interesting part is I didn't design it that way. It just, that was the date that I summited a mountain called Mount Rainier, which is in the Cascade Mountains in Washington State. And when you get to the summit of a mountain, there's a book, and you log into the book, and you sign your name, and you put the date. I didn't put my name. I put the name of my three Bloomberg colleagues who we had lost. And that moment was, I didn't know exactly what it meant to me at the time, but I used the sadness as an opportunity to what can I do to change something in my world? The first thing I had to recognize is I got to change myself. I got to go do something I've never done before. And that's the only way that I felt that I could do something in the service of the people who were at that place in the World Trade Center in the service of my success. How blessed I was. They were there for me. How could I be there for them? I didn't know any other way to do it. What I didn't realize is when I stepped on that mountain, it unleashed a complete beast in me. A year later, I stepped on the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. A year later, I was climbing in the Alps. A year later, it just it set something in me. And Jason, when I reflect about how blessed I am to have lived that day, it does something to you. Yeah. And, and it does every day I think about it. Well, you know, I know that uh, our listeners, you know, we've got some young listeners who either <clears throat> weren't born, you know, 20, was, I guess 20 years ago when it, when it happened, or were very young and don't have a, a, a clear memory of it. But a lot of our listeners do. And, they, and I, of course, like you and me, we remember it vividly. You were in New York when it happened. I was, I was living in Nebraska at the time. And I remember that day very clearly. And I think a lot of people do. If you were alive on that day and, and were an adult, you certainly remember where you were that morning when you found out about it and watching it on the news unfold. And, and what it changed 3,000-plus families' lives forever. But more than that, it changed other lives like yours. You know, you decided, hey, I, I've lost very close to your friends, colleagues in this in this disaster, this this terrorist attack. How do we, how do I, how do I justify or understand it? But but here's what I want I want listeners to understand is that be, that pushed you into entrepreneurship, which is what I want to talk about. Yeah. And I believe, as I said at the as a, at the beginning of the show, I believe the entrepreneurs are the ones that change the world. I, I believe we change the world as entrepreneurs because we create things, we innovate things, we take risks, we do things that make the world a better place, and. That day, although it changed those 3,000-plus families' lives forever in a negative way, think about the major impact, the positive impact that that happened. Now, obviously, we got to turn it in for good. 
And it happened with you. So you started, not immediately, but you eventually started your own company as a result of those feelings and emotions. Tell us about that company that you started and why you started that company. Yeah, it took a while to get there because I was succeeding well in my Wall Street world. And, and while, while what happened to me in that reflection changed my mindset, I didn't know exactly as I was trying to make sense of these events, where, where was it going to lead? And throughout, so for the next several years, I stayed in my Wall Street love, life, enjoying it, traveling the world, loved it. I loved every minute of it until I didn't. And so I, as, as over the years, and this was about nine years later, I was on a mountain in Alaska called Mount Bona. I was still very much a part of that Wall Street world I came from. But this was an incredibly intense climb. It took about 15 days to get to the summit. We were in the middle of nowhere. Alaska was amazing. But when you're climbing a mountain, Jason, you're putting one foot in front of the other you also have a lot of time in your head. All you're thinking about, just step, breathe, step. There's a rhythm. And as you find that rhythm and you're breathing deeply, you're aware of that breath. It was in that time on that mountain as I was descending in the service, and there were about 10 of us, such wonderful people. I said, oh my God, it hit me. This mountain climb, it feels like my career. I was like, and, and, and how did, so, I, it, it, I, like, my mind is, like, now going crazy. Like, I, I'm taking a step at a time, but my mind is whirling. What, what, <laughs> what just happened? Well, as I think about it, and this is where the metaphor of mountain climbing and career climbing came that led to, the, to, to writing my book. What did we just do? We set a goal. The goal was not to get to the summit. The goal was to get home to our families. I eventually made it home. The second thing. You take a step at a time, like success. There's no shortcuts to the top of any success mountain. Mm. Success is with you, with me, so many of us. It's a step. Step, always the next step. The most important step is your next one. And you don't know what it's going to be or what's going to happen when you take it, but you have to take it. And the third part, the best part of this, I didn't do it alone. The recognition, when you climb a mountain, just like when you climb a career, for anyone listening who thinks they're going to succeed on their own, they got it wrong. Success is a product of the people around you. And what I learned on that mountain, Jason, that I put in the first page of my book is called The Law of Reciprocity. If you want to succeed, we got the formula wrong. Help others? Help others climb that mountain. What do you think they're going to do in turn? They're going to help you climb it. And when you're having a bad day, they're going to come give you a hand. And when they're having a bad day, I'm going to give them a hand. That's success. Success is having this sense of purpose, aligning it with a passion, but recognizing that going up that mountain, the success comes with recognizing you do it in the service of others. That's what we do. That's what that mountain experience did to me. And when I came off of that mountain and I was in Alaska, a 16-hour flight, flight home, that's when it hit me. I am not going to leave the Wall Street world behind. They actually became my clients. When I got off the mountain, I went home. I formed an LLC. I'm going to call it Climb Leadership. It's going to be a professional development services firm. I'm going to teach people to do what they saw me do for many years. People said, hey, Chow, you're really good at this. I, I was like everyone else just trying to figure out how to be good at it because I was given the opportunity from Mike Bloomberg who said, 
You suck less than everybody else, so congratulations. Get out there and start speaking. That was the opportunity to figure out how to, how to, how to do this well. And when I formed my company, I said, I'm going to do that. That is the alignment of my passion, the alignment of my purpose. I put them both together, and now I can go out there and I can do it in the service of someone else's success. That was just, it was such a pleasure to be able to do that. And then to teach college, my dad is a college professor, so it's a family business, I wanted to do both. So I not only formed my business, I also started teaching, and I'm on the faculty at Columbia University. So what, what an honor it is to be able to do those things that, I don't know if I chose them or they chose me. I, 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 I don't think too much about that, but man, I am glad I am on this mountain, and, I, and I'm blessed to be on it. What, what year was that mountain climb in Alaska that, that gave you that idea to start Climb Leadership? That was 2011. And so Climb Leadership, the LLC, was formed over the course of several months. I had to figure out my exit strategy. It's not just as easy as you just turn a switch, but eventually it took several months in the transition. Climb Leadership was born a year later. I joined the faculty. I started teaching a year later, but I used that time in between to write my book called The Climb to the Top. Okay. This was a very personal thing, and I wanted to, I wanted to devote the time to do it. Well, let's talk about the book because I think there's not a lot of the guests I've had are have best-selling books like you. So talk a little bit about your book, A Climb to the Top. One thing I found when I formed my business, now I'm in business, is like, all right, not, I show up every day, as you do with your clients, and you got to leave them something. What are you going to leave them? And then I was creating, as I was teaching many of them how to speak publicly, how to speak in front of a camera, how to step on stage, how to present, how to show up. Some people, they never learned how to do it. So I said, how am I going to help them? I need to leave them. Like, and it hit me, duh. Why don't I just write a book so I can just give them the book? I was like, write a book? I wrote a master's thesis that one person read. I didn't know if it was any good. But what do I know about writing a book? And then I asked myself, what do I know about climbing a mountain? Nothing. But it didn't stop me from climbing a mountain. So what is it going to be about? What I wanted the book to be was a framework for how I stepped on stage and succeeded as a public speaker. How did I do it? When I was speaking publicly, I didn't have a method. I read a bunch of books, but I didn't figure it out, so I figured out my own. And I distilled it down to what I called at the time as I wrote the book, the 10 Commandments of Great Communicators. What do great communicators do? And I looked at Martin Luther King and everyone else, I said, oh, and I started laying it down. I do all of that. I think I do. And I watch myself. Yeah, I do. That's pretty good. Let me lay it all down. So the book, I said, this is a no-brainer, what I'm going to call it, a climb to the top. Because what I knew, and this is what I found in my career, the more I was, the more I was succeeding as a communicator, it was the skill set of communication that was vaulting me to the top. Not being a better investment manager, not being a better engineer, with it, whatever that was, I found that my success was a function of how powerfully I was able to connect to other people. And it was simply on the basis of these communication skills that I worked hard to develop. So I said, a climb to the top. And what I found is I started teaching other people I was teaching them to climb to the top through communication tactics. I didn't have to teach them to anything else. Become a better communicator, and people are getting you to notice, and people are getting to care. 
So I said, all right, how am I going to write it? Pretty simple. Use the metaphor of career climbing like we use it for mountain climbing. Set a goal one step at a time. Can't do it alone. So the book is 10 chapters. Each chapter is a communication tactic. One of those tactics, for example, chapter 8, is called The Power of the Pause. And I think the one thing I teach people to do is to pause. Just slow down. Listen to the comedians for dramatic effect. And look at the way they deliver a punchline. Simple. But people don't do it. That's one of the tactics. That's just a tangible example. So we'll climb to the top, semicolon, or colon, leadership and communication tactics to take your career to new heights. Get the mountain. Uh, that's the good. <laughs> that's good. Oh, that's pretty clever. I got a good, good publisher and a good editor, too. So the book was very much career climbing, mountain climbing. You're taking a step at a time. You don't know what's, what's in front of you. The weather, the unpredictability of the terrain. Does it feel like a career? Yeah, careers are like that. They're just like a mountain. It's the same to me. So the book then fortunately became an Amazon bestseller right away. It was great branding for me. It's, it's my signature. It, it is my method. It, it was out in the world. We've sold thousands of copies. And then how grateful I was that we translated into Chinese. I did a book tour, tour in China in 2017. The Chinese were coming to America in droves. And they had an appetite to learn the American leadership style. And so, Jason, this book has paid dividends and just been a blessing beyond my wildest dreams. And so your company, uh, Climb Leadership, is everything, there's a theme, right? It's all about the mountain climbing. You got the climb to the top as the book. You get Climb Leadership. So when you work with, you know, J.P. Morgans and the Bloombergs of the world, are you just going in and talking to their executives about, and you're coaching them through leadership and public speaking, that's how you monetize your expertise? Yeah, there, there's, there's a couple different models. One of them is... Like you, I'm a keynote speaker, so I'm a professional speaker. So that's the first way that you can monetize it where people find value in you presenting some kind of insight to large crowds. So that's keynote. The second one, so for the companies that you mentioned, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching with them. So there is an executive, he, she, wherever they are, have an event, could be. I'll use that as an example. And they, in two months, they have to go to London and they have to get on a stage and speak to shareholders. Most of the executives were never trained to do this. In fact, this is probably across most industries. Whatever it is they do, so if it's a chief technology officer, nobody ever taught them that. They became technologists, and they worked on becoming a better technologist. And then somebody said, hey, we need to get the chief technology officer in front of the whole company and tell us your communication strategy. They're very good at the strategy, but they're not so good at communicating the strategy. No one ever taught them. So what happens is they get up there, and they stumble, and they bumble, and... It's like, oh my God, this is the impression that you're leaving? What I do is I help them to package it, to promote it, to speak using the methods from a climb to the top so that when they present, they are doing it powerfully, they are doing it with purpose, and they are doing it in such a way that there is a strong call to action. So when they're speaking to their crowd, everybody knows exactly where you're going, they feel like this individual has done the best job they could, that they weren't just ticking a box. And what I found, Jason, and this is the secret sauce, all of a sudden they say, oh my God, 
I had no idea I could be any good at this. And then what happens? The career ascends. And somebody says, wow, that guy, he doesn't even need to be an engineer anymore. Because most people as they're ascending don't do what they were trained to do early on. The job description completely changed. They made it halfway up the mountain on the strength of their technical competence. The rest of the mountain is the strength of the soft skills. And that's where I come in. So it's either one-on-one, -on -one, and it's a very intimate thing. Three, four, five months working with them every week, of every other week, in the preparation of a speech. The other thing that I do one-on-one -on -one is emotional intelligence training. Mm -hmm. Many of, this is Wall Street world, but I think it cuts across the world in all industries. Many executives often get crushed under the weight of enormous expectations. They're very smart. They're very competent. They may be very good speakers, but that doesn't mean that they don't know how to stay calm under the weight of those enormous pressure and expectations. So in addition to the communications training and helping them to become a better speaker, I teach them the science, the social science of emotional intelligence. And you've got the emotional intelligence lab that you've started as a result of that, right? I do. It was really born from so many clients, and this is a, a model where we brought so much of my teaching, my television, my radio assets. I have a whole lot of assets that are really, what I have is a media company. And we package them together to create an online learning institute where anybody can come in and go to my website on chuckarcia.com. They can sign up and register and subscribe. It's a yearly subscription to learn what is both emotional intelligence and communication tactics. They are not mutually exclusive. They go together. So the coaching one-on-one -on -one is very much helping them to understand the tools and the tactics to communicate and to understand the importance of being emotionally intelligent, redefining what it means to be smart, and so when I'm training someone to be a speaker, what I'm actually training them to do, it's an EQ tactic, so emotional intelligence tactic called reading the room. Getting up there and how, how are people feeling? What are you seeing? What are their eyes? Are they smiling? Are they sitting up straight? That's being socially aware. And that's an emotional intelligence tactic that is so tied into how we communicate. And so monetizing the business was about taking communication and emotional intelligence and helping people internalize it, live it, breathe it, feel it, be it. Because nobody taught people this stuff in their educational model. That's where we fill the gap. And I'm... I'm grateful to be able to be one of those who can fill it. Well, you know, you and I have a lot more in common than, than I would have originally thought. I mean, we both are teachers. Yeah. Like, I was you a school too. teacher, and, no. and uh, well, I've got an online university. You've got an online university. Right. We've got this entrepreneur. Your your uh, your audience, though, on what you're coaching are more corporate executives for, for career ascension. Correct. Where I'm talking to entrepreneurs, but we're talking the same concepts because the 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 journey of an entrepreneur is very much like mountain climbing too. I guess if you apply all oh, that, you can you can apply that metaphor easily. I know. So I've got I've got this theory of these five P's of success, the five keys of success, and I'm going to run these through through your experience because that's kind of what I do on the show here. The first key to every entrepreneur's success that I have talked to is passion, 
And you mentioned, you've already mentioned the word passion. And I want to dive into that, but I want to, I want to give an explanation. I know we've talked about this and I talk about this on the show a lot. There's two sides of passion. There's the emotional side of passion, which is excitement. Like you have a passion for mountain climbing that I do not share with you. I think it's interesting, but I don't have that passion that you do, right? But you can see it in your eyes when you talk about it. And you, 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 you and millions of other people share that emotional passion. But the word passion, the etymologists tell us that it actually came from this phrase meaning willing to suffer, right. willing to endure. Yeah, and, and by the way, you got to be willing to suffer to do mountain climbing. <laughs> it, 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 it redefines the notion of discomfort. Yes, and, and, and I always use this explanation or this example is that in the, in the scriptures we refer to Jesus' Passion Week or the Passion of the Christ not because he was emotionally excited about going to the cross, but because he was willing to suffer or endure for a greater cause. And so there's a mental side of passion and an emotional side of passion. And what I found is that the emotional helps, but is not a prerequisite to success. Yeah. It is the willingness to suffer. So in your experience as an entrepreneur, starting Climb Leadership, writing the book, Emotional Intelligence Lab, where did your... I'm sure there were times when it was suffering, like you had to move through some tough times to, to succeed. So what do, what do you think about that? How does that, how does that fit into your story, that passion? Um, I, I think I'm, I'm blessed in that I've always been an enthusiastic individual. So, so it starts, even set passion aside, just I approach every day, I approach people, I'm just an enthusiastic individual. And I don't know if that is, I, I was born with it, or I simply learned the more enthusiastic I am with people, the more enthusiastic they are with me. So I started to build on that. And I think the passion was born from when I started my career. I think I was, I don't know everybody else. I went to college. I think they sold us a bill of goods. Go get a 4-0 and it's a path to prosperity and success. And then I joined Wall Street and I said, nobody gives a damn where I went to college. <laughs> nobody ever asked me my GPA. Nobody ever asked me, to, what's the formula for the quadratic equation? All this ridiculous cram, exam, and regurgitate, it was completely a thing of the past. And it had no business being in any business that I was in. So the suffering, and I think this is where the passion came in, I learned the hard way. I was now in a world that I was completely uncomfortable in. This is, nobody was talking about anything that I learned in college. I went home every day feeling ignorant. Oh my God, I got to get the Wall Street Journal. My textbooks, waste of time. I didn't even break, I saved them. I think, oh, I'm going to need these textbooks. I'll put them on the shelf. No, they're, they're, they look nice on the shelf and that's where they stayed. So I immediately, and maybe it's part of the suffering, I had to first recognize I don't know anything. I got to catch up. So part of it is recognizing I'm not as smart as I thought I was. I don't know anything. I got to catch up. And I think that led to the recognition that it be things became much more rewarding when I knew how hard I had to work in the achievement of that thing I was trying to do. And I think that was my career, Jason. I was always... <clears throat> always feeling like, man, I, I got I to gotta out, not outwork people. I had to outsmart people because I, I, can, everybody works hard, but not everybody works smart. And I think the suffering comes from the trial and the error that nobody teaches us this stuff. Yeah. You got to figure it out yourself. And you got to get a lot wrong in order to get something right. And the educational model flips it. Just get everything right. Oh, my God. 
Relate that to mountain climbing, Jason. It's all suffering. It's brutal. Yeah. It's freezing. You're nauseous. You're sleeping in these stinky, disgusting tents, and I wouldn't have it any other way. There's no bathroom. There's no room service. You're, it's a cold and a discomfort. I cannot even begin to communicate how it feels. When you're at 18,000 feet, the wind is howling at 40 miles an hour. It stinks. You're nauseous. You're down 15 pounds because you don't feel like eating. And here's the toughest part. You got another 2,000 vertical feet to go. Why do we do this? Because we're passionate about what we're doing. That's right. You're, the summit's worth the suffer. It is worth the suffer. But our careers, while I never felt physically harmed in my career, I think the mental anguish of the anxiety that we try to work through is underestimated how it can damage our psyche if we don't have the right mindset to know don't be afraid to make mistakes. Just be afraid of not learning from them. And I think society, Jason, puts everybody into this box. And you look at Instagram and Facebook, and it's like everybody's got to do something perfectly. I completely flipped the model. I said, I think the passion, the suffering, is knowing, go out there and screw it up. Yeah. I would rather you screw it up than sit there and design the perfect engine that you're never going to build in the garage. That's no good. Get out there and build a bad engine. Because when you have good people, we'll figure out how to make it a good engine. That's the can't do it alone. Yeah, the, I, you're right. I mean, failure is always a better teacher than success. And our failures teach us. And when you don't summit because of lack of supplies or lack of oxygen or whatever it is, you well, okay, now you know how to prepare next for the next summit. So that, that's the first P of the five. The first key that I found to every entrepreneur who's been successful, they're willing, willing to suffer that passion. Now, the, the second P is, um, it, and before I even give this one away, your story has a very interesting twist on this one, and it's being right place, right time. So when you think about ter in terms of people's ability to succeed, as an entrepreneur, there's always this point in time, like a right, I was at the right place at the right time. And for you, it's actually you were not at a place at a specific time that made you who you are today. You weren't at the Twin Towers. You weren't at the World Trade Center at that, that, that moment when they came tumbling down. And because of that, your life changed. So your right place, right time moment actually is the is the opposite of what most people experience. Does that make sense to you? Well, it does. And there's something I use in, in my classes and in my speeches, a quote by the psychologist Carl Jung. I am not what happens to me. I am what I choose to become. So in that event, something happened to me. I wasn't there. But what did I choose to do as a result of that point in time? And I think that lesson often gets lost. It's our choice. What do we do about that? Like a good history lesson isn't about the event. It's about the impact. What was the effect of the event that, that shapes history? For our careers, that point in time, it may be important, whatever that was. What did we do about it? Yep. And I think that's the way I view it. So what your, did I do about yeah, it? Yeah, so your success story was right place, right time, just like everybody else has that right place, right time. Yours just happened to be extremely dramatic 
that you weren't there that day because we wouldn't be, we wouldn't know one another and you would not have had your entrepreneurial success and the ripple effect of all the other people that you've helped in corporate America and in China, you know, to, to be better leaders, to be more empathic listeners and to be better public speakers. Right. The th- you've already mentioned the third P you didn't know what it, you were mentioning at the time, but you said nobody can climb a mountain alone. You can't climb your career alone. Well, the third P is people, is knowing the right people. Yeah, they matter. And nobody <laughs> gets to success without the right people. And you've already illustrated that in your climb analogy about going up a mountain. It takes people. You can't, you can't summit Everest alone. You can't summit Kilimanjaro alone. You can't summit these places alone. It takes people. Similarly, in the entrepreneurial journey, you're, you're start, you started Climb Leadership. You know, you, you who who are the people that were instrumental in making that happen for you? Oh, without a doubt, I, you know, we, we look at the event of forming an LLC. You do that for six hundred dollars on a computer. Big deal. The question is, like the mountain climb, who are you going to bring with you? Who are you going to choose? Now, as an entrepreneur, you have a luxury. You get to choose. Now, there's a lot of things you may not choose, but that's not negotiable. So, I had a series of partners along the way. Who I chose for my book, really critical. Who did I choose to publish my book with? I'm going to give him a shout out here, Advantage Media in Charleston, South Carolina. An absolute wonderful partner. The editor, a guy named Peter Giannopoulos. Peter, if you're listening, thank you for everything you've done for me. To call him an editor is wrong. He was my partner. These individuals worked with me to shape a climb to the top into the book that I am so proud to have published. I didn't do it alone. I didn't design the cover. Peter taught me to be a better writer. Advantage Media did the distribution for it. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was too stupid to know it couldn't be done. And I was smart enough to know that I'm not going to do this on my own. I need help. And I think that's the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, so I, so that, that I love your analogy of this climbing analogy and, and these peas are working together a lot more closely than, than <laughs> there, I thought. There, there's, there's a synchronicity <laughs> I know. that you can apply even to the, the real Jason Duncan has all of that That's right. in your world. Uh, so you've got the passion, you've got you've the right place, right time, you know, got the right people. The fourth P is that of preparation. And I think that if I could be so bold as to assume what your prep was, is that you're 25 years in Wall Street. My, uh, Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg coming to you and saying, hey, you suck less than everybody yeah, else right. could speak, right? <laughs> he really did so, say that. <laughs> and we could all believe that. So if he, he says this, he puts you in that place, that was your preparation. Am I, am I wrong for your yeah. success as an entrepreneur that prepared yeah. you? The preparation was the reason that I was noticed is because, and it started so simply, we were a small company at the time, and every Monday morning, everybody huddled together, and everyone had to talk about it. I was a salesman. And my territory was Latin America. I'm bilingual. I was responsible for all of Bloomberg business south of the United States. So I was traveling all the time, Mexico, Argentina, Chile, Brazil. Every Monday, the sales force got together, and people were there to talk about you know, what's going on in your territory. Many people looked at this as, I'm going to inform the rest of the company what I'm doing. I didn't. I didn't look at this. This is just something where I'm informing. Oh, my God, what an opportunity to get up there and to change the model. I didn't just inform, Jason. I prepared intently for those moments where I am not just going to inform my mates. Now, this was internal in a room, a very small room. When I got up there, I thunderballed what I was doing with great passion and enthusiasm, even if we stunk. I had a bad week, I didn't sell a thing, but here's what I learned, and this is what I did about it. And people were saying to me, man, I really love your Monday morning meetings. 
This was strategic and intentional. It was not an accident. I looked at if there were 10 people speaking that day, nine got up there, you know, I had an okay week. You know, I did this, I did that, and I did the other thing. Absolutely boring. And I said, I'm not, I got, I got to raise the bar on this because I got to get noticed. That led to requests for speaking engagement. Chuck, can you speak here? Chuck, can you, can you, I know you got a day job, but can you be in San Diego? There's a speech that Mike Bloomberg said, I can't make, can you do it? Well, little did I know, my preparation for the tactics of simply informing, I knew I had to outsmart everyone. All of a sudden, I was now getting requests to speak. I wasn't talking about my sales territory. It was, Chuck, talk to us about the alignment of finance and technology. I'm scratching my head. Where do I got to do this? We need you in London a week from now to talk about that. I go to the library, I go to Barnes & Noble, I buy a book, oh, the alignment of finance and technology. I didn't know what I was doing, but I didn't have a choice. What an opportunity to get in on that stage and completely inspire people to think differently. Then they started talking about it. That was preparation. Not blowing the opportunity. Most people, Jason, there's a lesson here. Do not look at communicating to your boss, to your mate, whoever it is, as simply informing. It is an opportunity to provoke and prompt to a whole nother world, provoke the status quo. You're the status quo, change it. And it changes with changing you. The entrepreneurs, what we do, we change the world, but the first person we have to change is us. Yeah. We're not changing a thing until we change ourselves. And you have an apprentice here, you are leading by example. I had, a, I had someone I followed, his name was Mike Bloomberg, then people were following me. That is an enormous responsibility because if they're going to follow you, you got to be exemplary. you got to raise the bar. And that's all of what you're talking about. All of that comes together in people in preparation. And when they see you prepare, what do they do? They will never come to the table unprepared in my world. That is not negotiable. You will not come up here and wing it. Because if you do, you have disappointed me and you. The bar is higher than that. Raise your bar. Yeah. Prepare. Love that. People well, that's, in preparation. Well, that, that, was, that was really, uh, I, I think our editors will probably take that and use that because that's good stuff. <laughs> that's really good stuff. Well, That's what we do. So, yeah, that, and you're good at it. So it's <laughs> well, obvious you. that you're very good at it. <laughs> so passion, being right place, right time, knowing the right people, preparation. The fifth and final P, the key to success that I found in interviewing dozens of highly successful entrepreneurs like you is they had a plan. And what I mean by plan is not what most people think. Most people think, oh yeah, I wrote a business plan. It was 18 pages and it was approved by some VC. No, what I'm talking about is your plan to obtain and deploy the financial resources required to be successful. So what was your plan to get Climb Leadership launched and and profitable. Yeah, in fact, I appreciate that because to me, writing an 18-page plan is, is worthless because no, no battle plan survives the first shot, and agreed. So my plan to get client leadership, the first thing I had to think about, I thought about a tactic that I use as a career salesman. It's called land and expand. What I did not do, I didn't think these big, glorious, oh my God, I can turn this into a billion-dollar enterprise. I started with one. I reached out to my network. I looked for one company that would buy into my training, and they did. It was a fintech company in New York. I'll never forget that. My opportunity was, was born. Now I got to go in there and I got to coach these guys. One client, that's it. I got to put every ounce of energy into one. What happened? Somebody called a friend and said, hey, this guy Chuck, he's pretty good. That led to two clients. Now I focused on two. 
Two led to four, four led to eight. Look what's happening here. Simply by landing, focusing on what's right in front of me. Don't go too far. That's the mountain, Jason. It's a step at a time. All I'm doing is working on what's right in front of me. If I think too far ahead, I am diluting my own capacity. I'm not serving the need of that client. I'm not focusing on building the business right now. I am focusing on making sure that that client cannot live without me. What happens then? Get another client. Focus on that. That was my plan. I didn't write this big business plan. In fact, I hardly wrote anything. I just knew I, got, I need a good starting point. I need to get out of the box well. And if I can do that, focus on the work. The outcome will come. I never focused on the outcome. And I didn't sit there and say, I think I can be a million-dollar enterprise in year one. I, I don't think that way. I, I, maybe because I don't have to, but, but I don't want to because I think that detracts from delivering the work above expectations. And the only way you can do that is to be singularly minded and focused on that job that you have. Nothing else exists. That's all you got because I can only do one thing at a time. And with mountaineering, I can only take one step at a time. I couldn't race up the mountain. I'd burn out. I couldn't race my business. I built it. So a little bit in equilibrium of patience and persistence. There, there, there's a, a fine line between being really aggressive and getting out there, but also recognizing finding the rhythm and the speed that works for you. And I don't think there's any one way to do it. I think we all find that rhythm that allows us to proceed up the mountain recognizing it's not always going to be perfect, but careers in mountain climbing, Jason, have always been a series of continual adjustments. So whatever the plan is, you see what's in front of you and you adjust accordingly. If that training didn't go right, what did I learn from it? I adjust a different method. If your contract negotiation with another client didn't go right, I learned from that and I adjust. So to me, this last P, the plan, the plan is a series of modifications and adjustments all the time, everywhere, and, and, and bringing other people in to help you. Because I think we all have blind spots, and, and we don't always do everything perfectly. So part of the plan, I think, is bringing the people in and getting the right people in the right place at the right time in the positions that are necessary in order to keep sustaining your plan. So what, how do you define the term success? Success to me is not something that you achieved and it's not a number you can put in a bank account. Success is when you have derived, it's feeling that every day I wake up and I have aligned two of the P's. I have aligned my passion with my sense of purpose. Only then did I feel like I was a success. And to me, success is I get out of bed, I'm brushing my teeth, I know passion and purpose have collided. I don't feel success can exist without either one of those two. You can make a billion dollars, but if you don't have them, I, I don't count that as a success. It only in the intersection of these two. And then I will add two other things a little bit more tangible. To me, also, success comes down to time and mobility. What do you do with your time? Are you choosing your time? And are you mobile enough that no one else is telling you what to do, where to go, when to do mm -hmm. it? 
that to me, and that's out of Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. That's what I got out of that book, time and mobility. So to me, the success, passion, purpose, got it. Because I wasn't always passion and purposeful in my Wall Street world. I was just, I had to serve a boss. <laughs> I, had, I had to sell something. I wasn't always passionate about it, but I had to do it. Now, it's always there. That's success. So do you think you are a successful person? I am. Well, part of that success is I am blessed that every day I go to work in the service of someone else's success. Jason, there is no higher calling. Look at the way that you evolved when you were in the ministry. What are you doing? You were in the service of their souls. Does it get any better than that? Look what a nurse does. They're in the service of someone's health. Does it get any better than that? Look what we do. In the service of someone else's success, there's no higher calling. That's, I, I don't have to worry about myself. I'm glad I did because I had other people looking out for me. Yeah. Now, I'm looking out for them. I'm only a success because someone's counting on me to help them succeed. That's success. I love that. And I can see the passion. I can feel it. And if you're not watching this on YouTube, man, you got to go watch this guy. He's, he's, he's great to watch talk because obviously you've spoken to so many places. Now, with that as a backdrop, you've got these five Ps. You've got your climb to the top. You've got your emotional intelligence lab. We talked about what your definition of success is. You think you're successful because you're helping other people get successful. Now, we've got entrepreneurs who are listening to this show right now who are sitting in their car. They're on a treadmill somewhere. They're, they're walking their dog. And they they want to start something, but they don't know. They're like, I'm, I'm I'm a little scared, Jason. I don't really know what to do. As a successful entrepreneur who's led dozens and dozens and dozens of other people through successful transitions, yep. what would you tell those people? Okay, the, the 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 first thing I would say: stop trying to be perfect. Stop trying for all the green, all the world's lights to turn green at the same time. That will never happen. So you got to turn those lights green. The only way you can do it is take a step and screw up. My advice is what I see so many people, they get caught in their own head and they find a hundred million reasons why not to do something. And they can't even find one reason to do it first. Second, forget everyone else's opinion about what you should do. Stop reading social media, stop reading the news, and stop capitulating to the social judgments where someone has an opinion about you. There's only one opinion that matters, and that's you. And what I'm going to encourage you to do, get out there and screw it up and then adjust and screw it up again and adjust. No entrepreneur ever that I know went on this yellow brick road on the path to perfection. So stop thinking and start doing. I will say one other thing. And this is, I can't emphasize this enough, and that's the power of branding. Unfortunately, for better or for worse, we live in a world of social media. I don't like it. But I can't fight it. I, I decided to join it. But the reason I say that is whatever these entrepreneurs who you're listening, there's a million people like you. And I don't mean that to insult anybody. I'm simply saying you are a brick in the wall until you prove to the world you're not. The world will not pull you out of that wall. You pull yourself out of that wall, and that's by being distinct. If you try to look like Steve Jobs, if you try to talk like Mark Zuckerberg, if you want to be the real Jason Duncan or Chuck Garcia, don't. We've been invented. So you got to find someone else. You. You have not. You are invented. 
but, but what do you bring to the world? I don't know, but you're going to have to tell the world what that is. And you got to do it in a way that's distinct. Too many people, Jason, get caught up into what everyone else is doing. That's not disruption. That's conformity. We cannot be conformist. Don't do what everyone else does. And don't listen to, to the critics. They're all going to tell you that idea is stupid. I had Mark Randolph, the co-founder of Netflix, on my radio show. Netflix almost went bankrupt. You know why? Even his wife said, what a dumb idea. It will never work. And he subtitled his book, That Will Never Work. And his advice, and this is my advice, don't listen to everyone else. You got the conviction, you got the passion, do it. It's going to suck. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be cold and hungry and tired, and you're going to doubt, my God, what am I crazy? Why am I doing this? Because the world is telling you that. Go tell the world something different and go out there and prove them wrong. I love that. That is so good. That's gold. That's gold. <laughs> well, how would people get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, you can always go to my website. If you remember my name, Chuck Garcia, you'll remember my website. It's chuckgarcia.com. There's a contact tab. And on that, you see all the things that we do. Send me a note. Let me know. You can also find me on Instagram, on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn's a good place because that's where I live a lot, even though there's an Instagram page called The Climb to the Top. So anything, Chuck Garcia or A Climb to the Top, you will find on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. But the important part, just Chuck Garcia. If you just Google me, it comes right up. Well, talk about your podcast because you you got a pretty good podcast, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. My podcast is called A Climb to the Top Stories of Transformation. And every week, we feature a lot of entrepreneurs of come on. We feature anyone out there that has a story of struggle and the removal of obstacles. And it's very entrepreneurial-based. It started on 77 WABC in New York, an iconic station. We did 54 shows on there, and now we're on the C-Suite radio network. But what I love about the radio show, Jason, just as with you, every week I get, it's a faculty. We bring people in, and they, they don't talk about their successes because I think the success stories are dull. What they talk about is the path to success, how they got there and how they removed the obstacle. So I've been really, really blessed. I've had Grant Cardone on, uh, star of Undercover Billionaire, Mark Randolph, co-founder of Netflix. I had an actor guy named Matt Del Negro, he's on a, on a show now called City on the Hill, and he was in The Sopranos, he was in West Wing. He talked about it as an actor. He said, you know what I do for a living? People tell me no. That's what I do for a living. I listen to the word no. So he talked about his 10,000 no's and how he turned them into yeses. A Climb to the Top Stories of Transformation is about people's mountain climb. All the twists, the turns, the avalanches, the obstacles... That's really cool because they're helping inspire the next generation. Oh, my God, if that guy can climb through the storm, so can I. So you can find us on YouTube, just Chuck Garcia, YouTube.com, Chuck Garcia. We do everything both in audio on C-Suite, Spotify, and Apple. You can listen to us or you can watch it on YouTube. And every show from YouTube and the audio is archived on ChuckGarcia.com. You just click the radio show. And you get to hear and watch all the shows. Yeah, well, you didn't talk about your most famous guest that was ever on your podcast, the real Jason Duncan. <laughs> yeah, the real Jason Duncan was on my podcast. I don't know how it is I forgot that. It was a real honor to have this guy on. And what I loved about the real Jason Duncan, when I interviewed him, you, <laughs> it was a real treat because I found in you, you communicated to the world something that I picked up on that nobody else communicates, and that's this thing called Clifton Strengths Finder. And I really appreciate it, and to, to anybody listening, the Clifton Strengths Finder divides the world into 34 different archetypes, qualities, whatever we may want to call them, di- diff- diff- different, different t- 
types you are. And Jason, what you did is you put on your website, these are my five things. Strategizer, from yeah, <laughs> relator, but, yeah, relator, ideator, whatever they may be. And most people don't do that, but it says a lot about you. It says what the world says about you, but most important, what you say to the world. You are reflecting on the traits that make you unique and you broadcast it to the world. So I was very happy and it was a pleasure to have you on it. And I am also grateful for the opportunity to be on the other side <laughs> and to be in, in the presence of the real J Jason Duncan on this side of, of, yeah. of the microphone. Well, it's a, it's an honor. It was an honor to be on your show. And Likewise. of course I was joking about being the most famous guy. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not Grant Cardone, but uh, any final words of wisdom, parting thoughts, anything before we close out our, our conversation? I, I do want to leave everyone with a little bit of, of sense of self-reflection that every time you have an opportunity to do something, think about your mountain of change. And that mountain of change has four dimensions to it. So every day, in fact, if you're listening and you've got a piece of paper, write out four different things. The first word is the word create. The second word is preserve. The third word is eliminate. And the fourth word or accept. This is the change model I use with my clients. And I ask them to write down, right now, right here, right now, write down one thing in the create bucket Right. One thing that you want to do that you always meant to do and you never got around to. Second thing, in the preserve bucket. What I know about life, things, things get better or things get worse. They only get better when you are conscious to preserve them. Your health, your relationships. Write it down. What do you want to preserve right here and right now that that becomes locked into your mind? Third, habit forming. What's the one habit you want to eliminate? And then fourth, toughest part of change. What are you willing to accept? I'm accepting that my kid will never be an engineer. I'm accepting my kid will never make it to the NBA. Once people accept and are at peace with certain things they cannot change, they begin to change. So I'm going to leave you with yesterday. This is the Rumi quote, 11th century poet I use all the time. Yesterday I was clever and I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. Those are my, my, my parting words. Lay down your mountain of change. Think about, stop trying to think about changing the world until you start to change yourself. Only in changing yourself are we capable of changing anything else. That's great. Thank you, Chuck. Thank Welcome you for being here. It's been a great, great conversation. And, and there you have it, listeners. I mean, every single week we talk with someone like Chuck, this super successful entrepreneur, and, and look into their journey to success. How did they become successful? And as, as my theory, uh, theory stands every week is that this passion, right place, right time, prep, uh, being, knowing the right people, being prepared, and the plan all seem to come together in everybody's story. And what that means for you as a listener is that your journey to success has to be unlocked with the same keys, and you can use them too. And if you want to know how those keys play into your life and what your probability of success is with the venture that you're pursuing right now, I've created an assessment that you can take. It's completely free. It's 17 questions. It's at my website at therealjasonduncan.com slash success. So you can go there and take that assessment completely for free and it'll filter your venture and your, your psyche and what you've got going on through these five P's and you'll get a, a personalized report in your email inbox 
that tells you what your probability of success is in that thing that you're choosing to do. So it's completely free, my gift to you as a listener to the podcast. So go to therealjasonduncan.com slash success. I want you to please join in next week as we talk again with another very successful entrepreneur about his or her journey to success. If you are in a place where you can do it, you're not driving to your car, please go to the podcast player where you're listening to this right now and leave us a good old five-star review. And if you can't leave a five-star review, if something, you know, if you don't think it's five-star worthy, email me. Let's talk about what I can do to make this better. And because I want this show to be in service of others, just like Chuck talked about. <laughs> I want it to be a success because I want it to be in service of people just like you. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you for being here. And my big thanks to Chuck Garcia for flying in all the way from New York to be here in Nashville with me today to be on this show. I'll see you next week on The Root of All Success. Until then, remember, Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.